Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining us. Today, we get the perspective of someone who has worked in corporate affairs for a long, long time and has had a distinguished career in that field and has now got a really interesting job um, in the way that they work and tell their story, not just to uh, the federal government here in Australia, but really they've got a a need to tell that story more broadly throughout the community. So we'll talk to him in just a moment. Um, But first, as we do each week, we start with the definition of just exactly what content communication is. So content communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to my guest today, it's Simon Westaway, who's the Chief Executive Officer at the Australian Livestock Exporters Council, and he's held that position since 2016. And the Australian Livestock Exporters Council represents Australia's expanding $2 billion livestock export sector, which is part of the nation's $18 billion red meat supply industry. Now, his path to being Chief Executive of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council is through corporate affairs, and he has held a number of roles uh, as a Vice President at BHP Billiton, the giant Australian mining company, at Tourism Australia, at Jetstar Airways, which is a part of the Qantas airline group here in Australia, and also with Medibank Private. So as you'd expect, his skills are in government relations and media, corporate and financial communications, public policy advocacy, and also strategy. And he joins me in the studio now. Simon Westway, thanks for joining us in transition. Cheers, David. Thanks for the the wrap. (laughs) So listen, Simon... um, Let's let's go through that. Um, how did you find your path into corporate affairs? What, what was your journey to that? Those first jobs that that, that you had? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I'm a grew up in the Hunter region. Uh, in obviously in, uh, New South Wales, I okay. live and reside in Melbourne, and I now hold a job in Canberra. So I'm very much a, a, um, a sort of a future example of the way we we go about our work these days, aren't we? But look, I was always interested in the media as a as a young guy. Um, I was probably more interested in the sports pages and the business pages than I was at the, at the front pages. But I've always had a had an interest in media, and and as I guess I sort of started to grow up more around why issues emerged and, and why they occurred and the way people responded. I, we always had ABC on at home growing up, ABC Radio, and um, I guess, um, you know, I often used to – I think I was probably the only kid in my class that actually our parents had the AM program on each morning before we, we headed off to school. And I'm not saying that they were they were Svengali's, but I, I think it actually made me get a bit of an awareness of what was going on in the world and my family did a lot of charity work and the like, so I was – in terms of in overseas countries. So I suppose I always had a bit of an exposure to, to the global village and I guess I was always interested in the way the media – operated in the way it worked and the way issues were shaped. 
and um, found myself a few times um, probably cursing the, the radio or the TV or the newspaper from what I read and thought, well, you can either be an observer or a participant and I guess I, um, I chose to become a participant. I actually am a trained journalist and for a period I was a radio um, journalist um, out of the Hunter region but um, I, I guess... Uh, I probably I got in, I'd like to to manage and and solve issues and get involved in issues and I guess ultimately found myself after some time working for a number of politicians uh, in the political sphere I then moved into um, into corporate roles and and guess the journey sort of gone from there. Okay, so it's a, it, it it is that it's interesting that you you came via that journalism path to to issues management and solving problems because the media has changed so dramatically. So through your career, obviously you've been involved in all sorts of things. What are the biggest changes that you're seeing now in terms of the importance of being able to shape a story to earn the right to get people's attention? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, so obviously the the mainstream media has changed significantly. I mean, the role of print is obviously declined. um, You argue the role of, um, you know, TV and radio in terms of just issues, in terms of debating issues and and the way issues are um, are, uh, discussed has probably changed a lot as well. Obviously the rise in online, the the role of social media, good, bad and indifferent. I mean, all of the channels have changed significantly. Um, In some ways I think um, uh, you could argue that the empire's fought back where organisations, individuals, companies, entities have been able to better control and shape their message than they've ever had. They've got, you've got a complete suite of communications channels that you can utilise at your disposals. You can actually get your brand out there and actually people could buy into your story and not necessarily go through the filter. So in a way, I think that's been, I think it's actually as big a change as much around the rise of social um, media and the decline of some of our traditional um, platforms in this part of the world and, and abroad. So that I think actually, you know, ethically I'd have a bit of a think about that sometimes and wonder if that's necessarily, have we really, is that the circle that we've really wanted to go in and that's the, um, that's the way we've wanted to become. Probably the other couple of insights is there's a lot less specialist media than perhaps there was around back when I first started out. Um, I was very fortunate. I don't have an aviation background, but I got involved in airlines. I worked for a a, a regional airline called Impulse Airlines and then had the chance to to later on in life get involved with um, the Qantas Group through the Jetstar project. And um, so I spent... Um, if add some tourism time that I did, I spent probably 12, 13 years of my working life in, in corporate in the aviation and tourism sector. It's a, it's a wonderful, amazing sector and um, obviously it's very interesting. Um, and I guess I've seen, seen the way that the role of brand and the way that things are shaped and so forth and, and you get a lot involved in a lot of issues. But to, to my point, um, the aviation tourism sector had a lot of specialists, but as I sense even in more recent years, there's a lot less specialists um, sort of writers, commentators, opinion makers and shapers in that type of sector and yet that's a sector that's quite dynamic and, mm. and has a lot of marketing dollars and associated with. So you come to sectors such as the red meat sector that I'm now involved in, there's very few specialist media now involved in that. So I think that's probably been some of the, so I guess, some insights over 20 plus years of um, um, looking over the parapet in terms of mm. where I'll see some changes. So in terms of that opportunity to be your own media organisation, how do you 
address that opportunity as part of the CEO of the um, Livestock Exporters Council? How do you best take use of that? Yeah, it's a great question. I um, I, ha- I guess I had one of those sliding door moments in my career um, when I was um, finishing up at BHP with a lot of us after the um, South 32 demerger, the the Billiton vehicle, if you like, or elements of the B- the Billiton part of BHP were put into a new vehicle. And I guess I had an opportunity to think about where I'd, I'd take my career. And I've been very interested in industry bodies, which is why I've, I've ended up where, I, where I've ended up. But I guess to your, your, your direct question, I think it's about an organisation, no matter big or small, it's around looking at how they present and how they ref, are reflected in terms of the communications that they have and the presence they have. A lot of people look at an organisation these days mainly through their website or perhaps their social media channels, maybe the odd appearance by a CEO or an executive um, um, of something. Not every organisation advertises, obviously. So um, you need to think about um, the way that you're presenting and, and what it is that are the building blocks. In a way, I think it's a it's a good refreshing thing to every now and then organisation have a good look at what they are and what they do, but how they actually say it is actually and how they reflect is actually really important. Um, in the case of my organisation, um, you know, we do some really interesting work in a in a in a, a an, an industry that not everybody supports, um, and um, uh, it's not really about whether you support or don't support it. But I think the way we were projecting ourselves and the way we looked and felt is different to what people um, understood us to be. So I guess I'm taking our organisation on a journey now around um, putting, I guess, a bit more of a face to, to the industry um, and a bit more logic and, and an argument around how the industry operates rather than, the, than focusing on the systems of processes, which I think a lot of people have liked us to focus mm. on and perhaps hasn't best framed us. And so how then are you going about that in terms of developing a plan? So... Um, is it the social channels? Is it video? Is it getting newsletters out there? Is it making sure that you're still in the media or is it all of those things? Oh, it's a bit of all of those things. Um, live export trade is probably not the hottest media topic or if it is, it comes with a lot of inherent biases by from many commentators as well as obviously critics on both sides of the fence. So um, we probably take a more cautious approach to mainstream media engagement. Um, I, I guess I'm hopeful in this role that I can change that and we can get more involved in more discerning debates and, and have an opinion and not have the um, issues of a, an incident back in Indonesia in 2011 or in Vietnam in 2015-16 um, shape, the, shape the conversation. But I think for an organisation like us um, is that we've, we, we, ha- we basically had a platform that we were working off and what we needed to do was was go through and, and what is it that we do and how are we how do we represent ourselves? And it's not about what we do, it's how we represent ourselves. And for me, what I've done is I've really looked at the way that we presented. I'm reshaping our brand guidelines. We're about to redo our website. Um, we're getting our communications channels much more aligned so that we're saying a, a common message across a number of different channels. I think one thing that people need to be aware of is that each of the various channels that a communicator has, it, it's, as, as he or she has it, the control panel now, um, you're actually potentially talking to a lot of different audiences, but you've got to be very careful that you don't, in talking to different audiences, don't sort of fall for the trap of saying things differently. You need to be very consistent in your positioning. Um, perhaps though you may, in a style point of view, you may present it in a different way. Mm. Now, resourcing is always an issue for most organisations, be you a government communicator, be you in a national association. There's just not bodies lying around everywhere to be able to take advantage of it as much as you would like. So how do you go about... Um, defining and and allocating resource to this particular function. 
So that's a good question. I think um, from a from a planning from the building blocks, from a planning point of view, you've got to you've got to put a business case around why yeah. why you need to do these things. It's um, a lot of you know boards, management teams are very interested in in media marketing. Um, it's something that everyone has an opinion on, whether or not it's exactly shaped in in um, a great deal of strategic rationale is another is another point. So you've got to have a strategic position and a strategic reason for why you're doing what you're doing, uh, and that that requires a little bit of planning but also requires the rationale around it. Um, it's also about aligning the your communications, be it in uh, sorry, marketing above, below line or in terms of your earned media or reactive media. It's got to be aligned to the um, overall strategy of the organisation as well. Resourcing is a huge issue and it's not that corporate affairs or the public affairs function is, is underdone. In fact, arguably there's um, been a lot more investment in this in this field than, it, than there hasn't in the last 10, 15, 20 years. In fact, I, you see many surveys like the PRs outnumber journalists from four or five to one now in a lot of industries and, and on any type of snapshot. But um, the resources, though, do come a little bit thinner where I think organisations are quite comfortable to fund a comms manager or a comms advisor or perhaps you know allocate a little bit of money to update the website or update their intranet at, at some point. But they don't, I don't think, play a longer-term strategic sort of game around ongoing funding or an ongoing build of the the brand or the entity that you're trying or the, the framework that you're trying to trying to put forward. And I think a lot of organisations, I observe, struggle a bit with that. You see um, teams come and go, you see um, activities come and go and and perhaps I think some organisations have missed the boat a bit around um, not, uh, probably best funding it, mm. which I guess is probably the, the guest of your question. But this is the point, I suppose, isn't it? And that maybe perhaps corporate affairs, um, public affairs, communications has really failed to make the business case and therefore hasn't been able to uh, align the value they create with the business objectives of the organisation and therefore not speaking in the language of the senior executive means that you're not going to get funded. Well, that's right. And you become – you're already off the bat, you are in generally – in generally in most cases you're a cost centre, not a profit centre so, <laughs> yeah. or a revenue centre. So being a cost centre means that you're always at the mercy of, of being counters and when times are good – teams grow or funding's there when times are bad and often that's when corporate affairs actually comes into its own during the bad times or the or the big issues is when you actually need um, the additional feet on the ground and the approaches and the and the strategic communications approach that you're going to run but often that's times when you have you got less amount of people uh, in and around you and I think corporate affairs it's a difficult one because I mean many people have a view on this um, I guess I've had a view and I've been asked this a few occasions now and I've got some grey hair so perhaps I can buy into it a bit more is I think we don't do enough work around our ROI, our return on investment. We don't do enough work around what value we provide. Mm. There's some pretty simple measures out there, even some of the, the you know, a media monitoring firm without giving too much of a plug to the likes of Icentia. You can do a snapshot on an issue and run it over 50, 100, 250 mentions across a range of platforms, get a scope around a positivity or neutrality or a negative um, you know, sort of view of how you've managed an issue and then you can actually provide a level of weighting around what type of value that created or didn't create or, or wasted for the organisation. Um, so I think in some cases our work by not being proactive enough, we're actually missing opportunities to help better leverage mm. better leverage things. So I think, yeah, we haven't done the best job at that and I don't know who's to blame for that. Um, I think it's partly the operatives but I think it's also partly um, we haven't probably tried to buy into enough of the strategic stuff we've let human resources take over parts of our roles. We haven't probably fought hard enough intellectually about the value that we provide. 
Um, and I, yeah, it's a good question. And mm. I think, you know, we've, and I guess with the decline of traditional media, that's probably had a bit of an impact on the way corporate affairs and public affairs functions now, now run in many cases. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because recently, and we've featured it on the podcast over the last few weeks, the WPP, the Glo- the global holding company, the big massive av- uh, advertising holding company did some research around effectiveness of government and public sector, um, communication. And they found that, you know, this very point that it's not valued by the senior executives. And I, I think it's a, a really it's, it's the communicators, it's us, that we haven't sort of knocked the door down. Um, but I think that's getting easier now when, you know, in as we move into the digital platforms, measurement of activity is a whole lot easier than it's ever been um, before. Advertising equivalence, you know, has always been a little bit of a ropey measurement. You know, is it really worth that or not worth that? So I think we can um, do better and we must do better if, in fact, we're going to be able to grab um, the share of the budgets that we need because I think the other the other point that I um, make often on this podcast is the increasing importance of communication given that everybody is now carrying around a supercomputer in their pocket. So everyone we need to connect to is in fact connected. So therefore the communication role becomes even more important because it's they're there, the people you need to get to. So it's really just a matter of how you tell that story, through what channel, at what time, in what form that hopefully is going to capture that attention that will then ultimately lead people to behave in the way that you would hope them to be. Yeah, spot on. I, th- I think it's a few things. I mean, we haven't, as a, as a as an entity, if you like, corporate affairs or public affairs within broader structures rather than small micro companies or micro organisations talking bigger structures, we haven't done the land grab very well. We haven't tried to, to take over IT's turf. We haven't <laughs> – we didn't really take on the HR – um, um, debate that was going on that HR should have comms. I mean, I've seen and lived through a few different models where um, people and communications, HR and communications, communications and IT, you're now seeing communications mould into legal um, in some cases because you look at models, be it Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey's, the different corporate advisors, and there was a, there was a period there where a CEO could have 10, 11, 12 multiple... 12 reports and therefore communications snugly fit within that model through to that they needed to have a small executive teams, um, group X goes and then have a larger sort of um, do a be vice president, um, you know, senior executive managers types, EGM types then sitting in underneath um, whatever the superstructures were and that's where communications has got folded in. Now, mm. I don't know if we really should be dictated to by the likes of a BCG or a McKinsey but I've worked with these people, they're much smarter than me and there's rationale behind it but I haven't seen the corporate affairs and I've been part of a few sort of debates and, and even got involved in IABC and those type of bodies for a while to try to see was there any intellectual rigour to try to drive drive this forward and I didn't really get a lot of it. It was a lot of us talking about what we thought was important to each other but not really thinking through the where yeah. where we're going and you're spot on. I think communications is becoming more critical, not less oh, yeah. and and yet we may not have the, the amount of media that you need to, to be managing or look after, look, look after, but we certainly, you know, we should, you know, it should be part of a, 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 bar, a broad corporate affairs team, should have a number of different planks to it and it should have ownership of all the channels, not ownership of, of some of the channels and then should have some ownership in strategy. Yeah, no, no question. And, you know, what about the behavioural economists? 
you know, you turn around three times and they've snuck in the door and they're sitting at the top table and the communications people are still outside. Well, it's a struggle <laughs> and it's about jumping over you. It's a struggle because um, I've got to be careful I say here because I've been in some organisations and their, their corporate affairs structures have changed and evolved over over time and I've been a, um, you know, part of a participant in those and not a participant in those. But, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to ask yourself, is having having the corporate affairs structure sitting in underneath the chief legal officer or, or the general counsel, does that necessarily give you the best uh, communications output um, outcome? Because you'll look at through the lens of risk. a legal lens, through a risk <laughs> lens, uh, a governance lens, over perhaps a, um, um, an issue management lens. That said, issue around materiality, um, consistency of voice, if you're part of a listed company, it's extremely important. There's a celebrated case going on now with Murray Goldman where um, mm. um, where the CEO was saying one thing to one audience and saying something differently to the market and yet in a way that that's it's not cricket and obviously will that, that matter will resolve the way it resolves. But I guess the point taken is that communicators can't also have a licence to do whatever they want to do in the current world, particularly with all the different channels and the fact that um, you can be exposed quite quickly in terms of saying something inconsistent to what you what perhaps you said previously or what you're saying differently to perhaps a different part of the organisation. So where to from here? Let's just say that problem gets solved. And this is not just in, in corporate, it's not just in industry associations, it's in government departments and agencies as well where communications has got to prove its value if indeed it's going to get that seat that it deserves, I believe it deserves at the top table, particularly as digital transformation continues to make communication more important. Um, but let's say that that problem's solved. What sort of capabilities and skills do you think that people need to have to be able to create the best value for their organisations? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we want you want smart people. Um, I think intellectually... You know, people would be pretty cluey. Um, I think gone are the days where, and I think it's shown the communications degrees and the like, you know, very high TR or equivalence score to get into these. So you, we've got clever people that are going into those organisations. I think, though, um, you also need, um, I think we need, obviously, IT savviness is, is extremely important. I don't know if we need a bunch of coders, but certainly we need people that are, um, that are creative um, to be able to develop develop content or develop um, activity. And I find actually it's interesting where many of us perhaps are very good at, at writing something or, 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 or managing a narrative or something, but we're not necessarily clever at actually b pulling the whole strategy together or being quite clever in the way it's framed or why we're saying this because this is the reason why we're saying it, if you're following my logic. We're not good yeah. at putting the plan on the page perhaps as well as, as the uh, management consultant does. Yep. And I've worked for, with, with and for and around many management consultants. They have come with – they, they play, use the playbook. It's a, sorry, a bit controversial here. It's a good playbook but um, it's all about the plan on the page. It's so the CEO is always looking for the, the, the top of the tree. is always looking for those top two or three sound bites – and we've got to keep forgetting that they've got to those roles, but they're not necessarily had communications as a key part of the reason that they're there. And all of a sudden, comms is now a huge part of what they're about, but they come at it very differently, perhaps from from where we come at it, which is can be a great marriage, but it also be, can be almost be a divorce if you don't get it right. So, <laughs> so in terms of your your views on you know influencing. Um, politicians and how you can use communication to do that. What are some of your What's some of your advice around shaping a story and shaping a narrative in such a way that helps you to 
advance your your cause? Sure, it's a good question. I think you've got to. I mean, probably different in the, in the state and obviously in the in the local council um, municipalities compared, obviously, say in Canberra um, with the, with the two hundred and twenty plus MPs up on the hill. Um, I think it's if you're a part of an organisation that's trying to influence, you need to be talking to the politicians through the platforms that they you know, watch, listen, and, and read. Um, so keep in mind. Fed, and I've worked for a number of federal politicians, middle and younger, younger time in my life, but they get bombarded. Um, no matter what colour, political colour they are, no matter where they come from, they get bombarded with all sorts of issues, um, matters. They're getting bombarded all the time. But, um, but they also have some clear channels of where they get a lot of their information from, um, which is, you know, in some, as I understand, you know, Radio National has, has some cut through in, in the way that the MPs pick up their information. Obviously, the traditional print media still has cut through with, with federal MPs because of the, the, the drive in the issue of the day and that, and that sort of thing. Um, there's arguments at the AM program, um, for example. Um, and then, of course, you've got your key talkback radio hosts, which people argue are they still powerful. But for some reason, you know, the Neil Mitchells, the Alan Joneses, um, um, even Ray Hadley's of this world seem to have um, more than more than influence, and perhaps their audience would would justify. Yeah, the, yeah, so. the audience numbers. It's, it's often unusual when you think about it to see the numbers and to see the the demographics of some of those numbers, and then you equate it to the influence and the impact and it's so on a narrative point of view i think clearly i mean obviously national organizations have to think this way small organizations don't but clearly it's trying to talk into platforms and forums that mps are, are buying into and dialing in and out but you know they've still got mobile phones like everybody else and obviously looking at a whole bunch of different things i think the other thing is in the, in the engagement with mps is i think a lot of people fall for the trap that mps are either ignorant or um they're not interested in many ways they just don't have the time and they so therefore you need your communications with ministers or backbenchers for that matter needs to be really clear, concise. The handout perhaps is a one-pager, two-pager, which is interesting to look at and is factual. Um, in some ways that is as powerful as, as the 15, 20 minutes that you may get with an MP talking through a, um, a particular issue. Um, I was taught at a very young age the one, the power of the one-pager, um, physical as well as digital, is actually a very, very mm. important one. And you, um, and you raise a point there around visual communication. How important is is visual communication for you to be able to achieve the objectives I, of the... I think visual is absolutely key. I'm a terrible drawer artist. Um, I try to think visually and I read visually, but I'm not... I, I don't have that skill set. But, um, but I think it's... Visual is terribly powerful. The plan on the page, the we used to joke at Jetstar, the good old slide nine, which did, which showed how the Jetstar model worked. And we kind of all it was a bit of an in gag, but we used to often say in meetings with MPs, "I'll show them slide nine. and like we kind of all joked about it afterwards. But that's it, all they it, needed. It's all they needed because yeah. you got to, it, it, particularly when you've got time poor situations and trying to get a message across. The the visual, the power of the visual is critical, and I think. Again, it probably comes back to as us as communicators is do we have if you if you're a leader who do who do you have in your team that can deliver you that visual that visual um, who is it that's running your website is it is it the is it the techo um, excuse the link uh, the colloquialisms that's um, fall, fallen into the role or is is been playing with computers since he or she was six. Or is it the um, someone who is is really thinking creatively around how the 
how that website website yeah. works. And um, and I think you know that's been a bit of a win. I think in corporate affairs in more recent times is there has been more of a merging of the digital platforms in with the yeah. corporate affairs function. And I think that's a good win. But we need to talk about what the benefits of that. And I don't, I don't know if we're doing that enough. But then I've been out of the corporate arena for a good part of 18 months, two years, so perhaps I'm being a bit ignorant there. Okay. All right. Well, Simon Westaway, thank you very much for coming in to speak with us today in transition. Some great insights there around the changing world of communication and how best to shape our message and take advantage of the changes that are really here that I think are really positioning communication as a far more influential um, lever for organisations, be you government, public sector, national associations, to understand it and to use it as a uh, strategic weapon in your arsenal in order for you to achieve those business objectives. So thank you very much to you, Simon, and thank you to you, the audience, for coming back once again and listening to uh, my conversation today with Simon Westaway. I certainly appreciate that, but for the moment, I'll be back at the same time next week. So it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.